This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Welcome back, everybody. Happy Monday to you. This October thirteenth. I had to look at my phone. <laughs> October thirteenth for you, uh, twenty fourteen in the year of our Lord, two thousand fourteen. The year of who? Our Lord. Mm. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the show. This is I doubt it with Dollamore. I am your host Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me is my co-host Brittany Page. That's me. Yeah. Here See, I am. That's going to be a new thing. Oh yeah, yeah. We we figured that out last time. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I was gonna rehash it and cover, you know. Oh well people more. should just listen to all the shows and then they would know what's going on. <laughs> so listen, if you have been a listener of the shows and previous shows, you will know that I stopped begging for reviews and ratings on on the uh on iTunes a you long know, time ago. I did notice that. Well, it it was just we had this like Five minutes of time that was the same on every single show. Right. Where we would talk about the website and talk about the Facebook page and talk about Twitter and, t- and I just got, fuck, they're gonna, if they really want to know that stuff, they'll just Google and they'll figure out where we are. Right. And I didn't want to, I didn't want to keep doing it all the time. Although I really would like people to go and rate and review us on iTunes because it, it pushes us up in the, in the new and noteworthy section of news and politics, society and culture, and comedy. I think that's the third one that we're listed in. So anyway, it would be helpful if you would do it and you'd get your friends to do it. Create fake iTunes accounts and go review, whatever. Yeah, you know. whatever you got to do, do it. We don't care if it's unethical. Profanity-free <laughs> reviews. Yeah, they definitely have to be profanity-free. But here's I, one thing we've never done, and I've heard this done on many podcasts, is where they read some of their reviews. And we've got, I don't know, 30 or so reviews. So I wanted to read a few that were noteworthy or funny to maybe spark the an interest in our audience for those who haven't. And then I would also say this. If you have reviewed and you think maybe you cursed in your review, you should go check and see if iTunes posted your review because they won't post them. Right. So here's a good one. Uh, I can't pronounce the last name. It's J starts with an H. I don't know. Uh, it's, he says, I doubt it with Dollamore is a refreshing departure from the usual talk radio or podcast. Jesse doesn't force a left or right wing agenda and he doesn't try to cram a one sided opinion down your throat. He simply talks about the issues with, this is like me too. My... I'm tooting my own horn. I know. Anyway, Why did you choose this one? It's not I, funny I, I or noteworthy at terrible. all. It's terrible. God damn. What am I doing? Just go delete that review that you wrote, guy. I'm just kidding. Don't do that. <laughs> we love it. We do. We just, it's not good enough to read on the show. That's what we mean. Yeah. Uh, here's one from Matt. He says, awesome show. Although topics are random, they are relevant to current events. The opinions are very forward, but not delivered in a hostile manner. Loads of fun to listen to. I think that some people would probably disagree with yeah, that assessment. <laughs> I was going to say, is his, he listened to all of them? Because there's sometimes it gets pretty hostile in here. N- not a lot of shows that would be considered non-hostile have drops like this. Fuck you. 
Right. It's factual. Uh, moving on. Iconoclast88 says, love this podcast. It's an easy way to keep on the latest and greatest stories you may not hear about on the news, and even the ones that you do hear about on the news, but with a fresh take. I appreciate the emphasis on critical thinking and open discussion. It is evident both Jesse and Brittany are passionate about the issues and want to facilitate meaningful discussion. What's awesome about this I don't know if you have something snarky to say, but... I, I do. That's why I'm making the face where you could detect <laughs> something was about to come out. Well, go ahead with your snark, and then I, I have something serious to say. Oh, well, that was, again, just tooting our own horns. Where are the funny reviews that you were going to read? I, I'm getting to the bottom of the list. I'm oh, going okay. down. All right. And this then also, chronological. I wanted to compliment that person on their username, Iconoclast. Very good. All right. Um... I am reading these chronologically, and what's great about that is that was back in April. That was a month after we started this thing, and we really hadn't kind of formed our our mantra of moving the conversation forward. And they were getting that from even that early on, and I, I'm then very happy about that. Yeah, maybe they'll take my job since they had so much insight from the very beginning here's one that's kind of funny it says this spectacular duo is always entertaining always discussing critical issues in today's society while bringing a comical light into the conversation it's nice to have articulate intelligent and hilarious people who can meld together important information and comedy fan freaking tastic everyone should listen to this except children <laughs> <laughs> That was perfect. Thank you, person who wrote that. I remember early on that we had a listener, Roger in Florida. He may have quit because we started shitting on Florida so much. But Roger in Florida, he messaged me one time. We talked about that he was debating whether or not to let his like 12-year-old son listen to the show. And he was kind of falling on the no side of things. Right. I would think that makes sense. And Roger was a Christian who listened to the show. He's who was an avid listener. I would assume he still is. But... Because once you start, you just can't stop. We're right, like it's fucking, addicting. Yeah, Lay's potato chip, mm -hmm. Lay's potato chips or something. But I, I would listen. We are for sure an adult t type of program. Yeah. I guess I could cut out the. We 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 could do what Tosh just did on his show, the Daniel Tosh show, Tosh point oh, and do a, a family friendly. <laughs> well, that would be no fun at all. No fun at all. In our most recent, <laughs> our most recent is from friend of the show, I'm assuming Burnt Reynolds, because I don't know that anybody else's username is Burnt L. He says, my dog thinks this podcast is fantastic. <laughs> she likes when I leave it on for her when I leave her alone at home when I go to school. <laughs> oh, great. Yeah, well, at least it's five stars. Yeah. <laughs> so the dog likes it. I think the dog likes the show, so that's good. So we're we're cross generational, we're cross racial, we have an international audience, so our, our appeal crosses borders, but it also crosses species. Yeah, that's that's pretty remarkable. A lot of shows probably aren't able to say that. Yeah. So thanks for listening, Burnt Reynolds dog. Yeah. Fuck you, Burnt. But your dog is a remarkable fan whom we love. Right. So there is a a, a lady named Brittany Maynard who is a 29-year-old brain cancer patient, and she is in the news recently because she has decided that a few days after her husband's birthday, she is going to take pills to end her suffering. And she is it's, it's in the news pretty big. 
and the person whom I've invited on the show a couple of times who still refuses to even answer the request, Matt Walsh at mattwalshblog.com. Um, he wrote another follow-up to his suicide blog after that would follow up the one that he wrote about Robin Williams. He did. And before we begin on this, just for more clarification, this right to die um, argument, which has clear divide between conservatives and liberals. Yeah. He is talking about suicide and kind of... Well, what he does, what I think he does is he doesn't make any separation between an event that took place with Robin Williams, who committed suicide out of sheer depression and mental illness, and someone who was suffering horrific pain because of a chronic illness that they will die from within a month or two. They know they're dying. So, yeah, he's he's not making room for what this this situation actually is, which is dying with dignity and the right to die. And it's only legal in a couple of states, I think six states. I think six. Yeah. So he wrote this blog and we're kind of going to go through it and read some quotes from it. Now, just to warn everybody, I was reading this blog. I read the entire thing and Jesse was in the other room and he kept (laughs) hearing me yell things. Yeah. Because it was making me very unhappy. So I'm going to try to be civil while I do this. She was acting like the people in movie theaters that we hate. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Screaming at the screen while reading the blog. So Brittany Maynard, like you said, is 29. She has brain cancer and she has she was originally told that she has 10 years to live. Then her situation rapidly declined and they said you don't have very long at all to live it's going to come quick it's going to be painful and it's it's going to be hard so she got married she's a newlywed and her husband's birthday is october 30th and she plans to take her pills surrounded by her family in her bedroom on november 1st and end her suffering Mm -hmm. matt walsh has a problem with that of course he does and here is his take Now, he does say that he feels sympathy for her, but he is very horrified by the way the media has been portraying this case. He talks about how they keep using phrases such as die with dignity when what they really need to be saying is assisted suicide. And actually what Matt Walsh needs to understand is that the proponents of this cause want it to be called aid in dying because that's what they're doing. These people are... They have terminal illnesses, they are suffering, and they're going to die. They have already been given a death sentence. Right. Their life is going to end. So what an organization called Compassion and Choices is... Hang on. And it's not only going to end, it is going to end surrounded and filled with horrible, debilitating pain and suffering. It's not just... You're going to fall asleep one day and you're not going to wake up. It's you're going to be tortured for week upon week upon week, maybe month upon month of horrible pain. Sorry, go ahead. Right. And so Compassion and Choices, they're the leading nonprofit organization committed to advancing the cause for aid and dying. And 
So that's what it really needs to be called. So when he talks about how there's bias in the media and the reporting because they're calling it die with dignity, well, it's really aid in dying because they're they're just looking to help these people through their process of their, their life coming to an end. Right. Which is coming to an end. No question. Right. So he, he does say, I've never had terminal cancer. I can't imagine the fear and torment, the misery, the panic, the dread. I pray for her. And for everyone, let me know how that works out, Matt. And for everyone afflicted with this horrendous illness, I am very, very sorry that she has been saddled with this burden. It's certainly a heavier cross than any I have ever been asked to carry, though my time may come sooner or later. So he keeps saying these things that he's so sad for her and he feels bad for her. But then he goes on to talk about how people are telling her that she's making a brave decision and that her decision is not brave. And it bothers him. That, that, that that's what they say. Right. So he's criticizing her choice and he has a problem because most of the comments he's been reading on articles about Brittany Maynard say, this woman is fearless and selfish respect. I admire her courage and only hope I'm as strong as her. If I'm faced with the same decision for myself, what a brave woman, dignity and peace. And he says that this is wrong because she's a martyr for the cause of self-destruction. He says, I'm terrified to think that my children will grow up in a culture that openly venerates suicide with this much unyielding passion. There are so many problems with this attitude and so much disastrous implications to lauding a person as brave and courageous for killing themselves that I hardly know where to begin in addressing it all. I'm sure he'll find a way. So he says, if you are saying that it is dignified and brave for a cancer patient to kill themselves, what are you saying about cancer patients who don't? What about a woman who fights till the end, survives for as long as she can, and withers away slowly in agony until her very last breath escapes her lungs? Is that person not brave? Is that person not dignified? I thought we applaud that kind of courage. I thought we admire her courage and tenacity. He's the king of fucking logical fallacies. It doesn't have to be, if this person is brave for this choice, this person is not brave for this choice. It doesn't have to be that. Right. He says, sorry, you can't advance the two contradictory narratives at once. Yes, you can. You absolutely because can. Because this isn't about um, everyone who has brain cancer needs to follow the same path as when their life is coming to an end. If someone doesn't want to take the pills... If someone doesn't want to participate and use the die with dignity law, guess what? They don't have to. They don't have to. Right. They can choose to fight it out till the end and and live their life until they die. Well, that's the whole thing. It's their life. And they get to make the choices with it they see fit. Right. And so he goes on to say, so which is it? Which path should we admire? Well, we should admire both because it's the person's choice. The person yeah. who is suffering from cancer, who's in tremendous amounts of pain, they should be able to dictate what they want to do with their life without people like Matt Walsh standing in judgment, having never been in a similar situation. Yeah. I mean, that's what makes most sense to me. Well, I think most rational, reasonable people do. So he says people that are saying that Brittany Maynard is dying with dignity. He says, don't you understand what you are saying? She is dying with dignity, which means dying of cancer is not dignified. Ugh. You are accusing people who die of cancer of having no dignity. That is what you are saying. Uh, no, it's not there, guy. It's not at all. <laughs> it's th this wild, wacky leap in logic. Well, it's not even logic he's using, so there's no fucking leap in logic. Goddamn. He he's a terrible... 
I, I would like to have him on the show, and I think I would be able to be to be respectful because it would be a dialogue. But just reading his words that he had, he was obviously thoughtful about what he would say. He was obviously, there's effort into this long, blathering collection of bullshit. So I know I could be respectful, but it's really fucking hard to do so just listening to his words. So he goes on to say, but this is not anyone's fate because nobody writes the term of their own existence. We have free will, but we do not own ourselves. And we certainly cannot take ownership of ourselves by obliterating ourselves. That's like trying to write a book with an eraser. We are given life. We take part in life. We participate in life, but we do not own our lives. We can't take possession of our lives like a two-year-old grabbing a toy from his friend and shouting, Mine! Our lives are bigger than that, thank God. Your life is not some incidental occurrence or an accidental mutation or a meaningless cause and a string of meaningless effects. Ugh. So he's saying... um. He's pretty much making the case for atheists, by the way, because he's saying that, you know, all these people that have chosen to end their lives because they are suffering from a debilitating condition that's causing them to be sick and in pain 24-7, that that's what God wants. Right. It It's his decision to have you suffer horribly for months on end. That's, that's God decided that. Because, like he said... You have free will, but you do not own yourself. Well, I also, it's a, a weird, I don't know how they reach the conclusion that atheists don't prize life when we're the ones who believe you only get one of them. So it's very precious. They believe that after you die here, you go on to this glorious life of, of eternity, worshiping this entity for the rest of for the rest of time. He goes on to say, so if God reached out from the depths of eternity to hand us this life of ours, how can we think it acceptable or worse, meritable to throw it out before our time is finished? So again, he is making the case for atheists that God is inflicting this punishment on people and is going to just have them suffer for as long as it's in the cards for them. And right. Well, it, a That's lot of That's just the cards that you were dealt. A lot of Christians believe that when you suffer, you become closer to Christ because you are suffering similarly to how he suffered. Like Mother Teresa was a proponent of that. And that's it's it's uh it's it's sadistic. It's in a way, if you follow that, you're it's it's masochistic. So he says, inevitably, that's what this conversation comes down to. The old questions, the oldest questions. What is life? Why are we here? What's the point of it all? If you celebrate suicide, then you have answered these questions. Life is nothingness. We are here for no reason, and there is no point. And then he goes on to talk about how Christians believe that life has value, that that's their, right. their viewpoint and everything. And here's the thing. You and I both watched How to Die in Oregon, Ugh. which is an HBO documentary that came out in 2011. It's and it, on Netflix streaming if you haven't seen it. And it chronicles several different people, but it focuses on a woman named Cody Curtis. And she had liver cancer. Yeah. And this movie was extremely difficult for both of us to watch. We were both literally sobbing watching yeah, it, this movie. It, was, it wasn't just tears mist getting misty it was blubbering sobbing 
bawling. Uh, I had a very visceral reaction to this movie. Right. And that's shocking because we're atheists and we don't don't understand how life has value. (laughs) Right. But to watch this woman, she had liver cancer and she had picked a a date or she didn't pick a date. She had purchased the medication to end her life. Yep. And she said, I'll just I'll know when it's time. She was kind of instructed that with your condition, you're going to know that typically people in your in your position they they just know when right. it's time. Because there will be a period right. of decline and you'll know when the you know the the bad days outnumber the good days and you'll know when it's time. Right. And after her initial sentence, she survived longer than what she was sentenced to live. And she was doing fine. She was surprised by how good she was doing and she was actually kind of feeling bad about it because she didn't understand that she was given this sentence and she and she was outliving it and then we saw the decline happen and it happened fast very fast and she i mean fluid would fill up her stomach and she looked her doctor said it was enough fluid to where she was nine it was it was she said it was enough fluid that she was going from being not pregnant to nine months pregnant in two weeks in two weeks right her abdomen was filling with with bile and fluid that infected she was distended and it was putting pressure on her ribs where she couldn't breathe they feel like they were breaking and she was at the end on many milligrams of morphine every hour just to marginalize the pain it wouldn't even take it away right and she decided she was going to she was going to uh, end her life probably only weeks prematurely. Right. And in a way that she had control over it. And the, the end scene is very beautiful. And if you haven't seen the, the documentary, you need to go see it. because, Especially if you're against this. Matt Walsh, in fact, needs to go watch that. Because I think people that are against aid in dying have a lack of empathy. That's really what it comes down to. I think so. That you don't understand and that you can't feel for the plight of these people. Watching Cody Curtis limp around, hardly able to move. Or breathe. Or breathe, completely sick. She should be able to do whatever the hell she wants yeah. with her life Absolutely. and to make her feel better. It it also it comes back to this point. And um, we had a voicemail from Brett on it last show where we, we talked about, we've been talking about being genuine. Be genuine, everybody. Be genuine. And he said that he thinks that there's a, a weird tinge of uh, disingenuousness, I guess, from Christians because it's not necessarily what they actually believe. It's what they're told they believe. And I think it's easy for a guy like Matt Walsh, who's just regurgitating the things that he's been told, and he's not actually honestly exploring this. Right. No, I think that's definitely He's a, not a profound genuine. thought. Yeah, because if he were to understand what these people go through, he has no right to sit and say what's best for someone else. I mean, just like he's claiming that we believe this woman has more courage than someone who fights till the end. No, if you right. have cancer and you're do whatever you need to do to make yes. yourself feel better. If you have three weeks to live and you go out and you get heroin and you're loaded all day, every day until the hey. end, great. Do what you need to do. Well, here's so so Cody Curtis apparently is a terrible person because she's stealing from God two weeks of suffering that she would have had. She's stealing from the creator of everything 
a month's worth of agonizing pain that she would have gone through. But instead, she went out on her own terms. She went out with the love and support of her family, singing songs and Christmas carols. That's what she did. So Matt Walsh doesn't just have a problem with cancer patients and the people that are in support of the cancer patients who choose to die with dignity. He also has a problem with the medical field. He says, and what about the medical field? The Hippocratic Oath. Our medical practitioners must must respect the dignity of life, not the dignity of suicide, but of life, or else they will be at odds with their own profession. This is one of the worst things about euthanasia. After all, euthanasia happens not when the individual decides that her life has no value, but when the medical and government authorities decide it. They don't have... Listen, the doctors aren't just prescribing these these, we'll use his word, suicide drugs. They're not prescribing these drugs. They're not recommending them. They're not prescribing them as a, here, you have to have this. It's not like, oh, you you broke your, uh, oh, you're sick? Here's some z pack Here's some uh, antibiotics. The patient has to express that they want this. And then there's a period of counseling, and they ha- there's a whole process Well, and even when they have the medication, Cody Curtis had her medication for a very long time before actually taking it. Yeah. And even before they hand you the drink, they say, do you know what this drink is going to do? And you have to acknowledge that it's going to kill you. And they also give you an opportunity to change your mind. They say totally okay. Even if that cup meets your lips, you can change your mind still. Obviously, once you drink it, there's nothing we can do. But up until the point that you put it to your lips, you can still change your mind. We need to tell you that. Do you understand? Yes. It's never up to a government. It's never up to a doctor. It's up to the patient the entire time. They hold the cup. They drink it. It's up to them. Here's my thing. Is if I had what Cody Curtis had, if I end up with what Cody Curtis had, if I end up with what Brittany Maynard has, and I decide that I want to end my life a month premature to avoid that horrific suffering so I can go out in a non-demented state, so I can go out clear-headed with those around me who mean the most to me. If I decide that, fuck you, Matt Walsh. It's none of your goddamn business what I do with my body and my life. For you to pass judgment with your little blog and your your horrible judgmental words because of some book that was written thousands of years ago that so many thousands and millions of people have different interpretations of, it's it's terrible and you're 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 not furthering the conversation you're you're making people feel guilty he's terrible well so much for him coming on the show um <laughs> so he goes on to say imagine having stage 4 cancer and visiting a doctor who just a moment earlier prescribed a poison pill to another person in your exact same situation only a moment before the doctor said to someone, yes, I agree that your life should end. And now you expect him to do everything in his power to help you extend the very thing that he just diagnosed as pointless. Listen, Again, Matt Walsh, this is not how things work. It, well, it's not how things work because they're not making the determination that your life is not worth living. They're saying it's your life if you choose because of your chronic pain 
and your illness that will kill you. It's not like someone comes in with rheumatoid arthritis and says, I want to end my life. And then they are prescribed pills and they're allowed to do it. That's not how it works. You don't walk in and say, oh, I broke my leg. Give me the kill drugs. That's not how it works. So don't conflate this to something that it's not. Don't compare this to something that it's not. Don't malign medical professionals who have dedicated their educations and their entire lives to the health of human beings. So we're finally nearing the end of the blog, everybody, in case everybody is feeling a little hostile now, right? He says, death is not a solution. Suicide is not dignified. Killing yourself to escape suffering is not brave. It is, in fact, the antithesis of bravery. It is the exact opposite of courage. If suicide is heroic, then everything we've previously called heroic isn't. Again, another logical fallacy. So what he is saying, though, is that it isn't. He says it's the antithesis of bravery. So he's saying that that Brittany Maynard, what she's doing is the antithesis of bravery, which would be cowardice. So he is calling her a coward. He also said it is the exact opposite of courage. Right. So he's the one drawing these lines, not us. We're saying if a person chooses to fight until the last day and suffer horribly, that's their decision. And if Brittany Maynard decides to end her life a few months early to avoid that pain, that's her decision. Both can be brave. Well, and you know what else is a point that I haven't seen him consider in this entire thing is that it's not just about Brittany Maynard. It's not just about Cody Curtis. It's about their families and the people caring for them as well. And when you see Cody Curtis in the documentary How to Die in Oregon, a lot of emphasis is placed on her children and her husband. Right. And what her husband is going to have to do for her and what what he's going to be burdened with during her decline. And... Brittany Maynard is, of course, thinking of those same exact things for her husband and for her mom and the people that are going to have to be caring for her when she becomes incontinent, when she can't walk, when she can't eat and all of these things. And so it's not just that they're bailing because they can't take it. It's also because they don't want to be a burden to other people. So it's it's not that they're just selfishly on a whim. Well, again, even even using his logic, that's that's just not it's the case. Not, it's not a one-dimensional fucking issue. It, there are many, many, many things at play, both the burden aspect, the pain aspect, even which I didn't want to talk about, but a financial aspect a lot of these people think about too. And that's that's okay because it's their situation. It's their dynamic. It's it's completely different from patient to patient. But what's not different is that they're making a decision for themselves, right. for their life. Right. It's not a doctor ordering them, this is what you have to do. Oh, we're sorry, your insurance doesn't pay. He's He's playing into that whole bullshit, death panel, weird, conspiratorial, terrible argument. Right. So he goes on to say, with all that said, I acknowledge that the other option in Brittany's case and in so many other cases is a likely short life of intense pain and inconceivable suffering. I understand the desire to avoid such a fate, but we should not act upon that desire. Life is to be lived like a cup we drink until the last drop. I don't want to descend into cliches here. Too late. But I know I'm not the only person who has watched many a video and read many an account by and about cancer patients who endured and fought through the pain and found amidst it all something valuable 
they discovered that every minute meant something. In fact, they meant more than any of the other minutes they lived in, health and prosperity. So hang on. So, so, so here's the deal. He's ta- let, Let's use his metaphor that life is a cup to be drank to the last drop. Well, what if the last few drops in your cup, Matt, are terrible poison that are slowly killing you in a horrific manner? Those are drops to be avoided. If you choose to drink that poison, then that's your choice. But if you don't choose it, that's also your choice, and it's okay to not drink those last few bits of poison that are that are killing you, that your God has prescribed you to drink. I also love that he's just basing this on that some people have found benefit at the end of their their journey with cancer. Okay, you show me 100 people that say that, I believe them, I'll show you 100, I'll match you with people that right. say the exact opposite. Right. This isn't based on anecdotes. This is just factually talking about the human experience and what people should be allowed to do with their own situation. That's it. That's all that it comes down to. So he ends his blog with this last sentence. I'll just... We'll just finish it off by reading his last sentence. And so you don't even need to read this thing anymore because you basically just got all the highlights, right? Fortunately, it's not too late for this woman. She is still with us and the world is better for it because her life is meaningful and important. Maybe we should all be telling her that rather than telling her it's a good idea for her to kill herself. What a fucking prick. So again, it's just a complete lack of empathy because, you know... (laughs) it's up to her and she she's not depressed she's she's in a clear mental state so this isn't he keeps using the ideas interchangeably saying that that suicide you know she's not depressed she's not suffering from a mental illness she's of sound mind and she has a terminally ill situation and on she's her making a logical decision that is backed up by her family by medical professionals that are okay with this decision. She's not taking her cues from mattwalshblog.com. She's not taking her cues from at mattwalshblog on Twitter. She's taking her cues from herself and her family. And we don't even know what her spiritual relationship is. No. She's very likely a Christian. She actually has said that after she passes, she'll move on to what's next. Right. So that suggests that she is a believer. Right. In something. There you go. Listen, if you have something you'd like to say to Matt Walsh... and or I, to us. Listen, yeah, well, to us for sure. If you'd like to, to, to pass along a message to Matt Walsh, call 657-464-7609, leave us a voicemail, and we will be sure to pass it along to him. But if you'd like to communicate directly with him, his Twitter, like I said, is at Matt Walsh blog. Ugh. And just, just to note, there is also a website called what is Matt Walsh wrong about today? Oh, that's right. What is Matt Walsh wrong about today.com. And so if you ever want to feel good about yourself, you can just, (laughs) you can just go read that. Yeah, so listen, I, we certainly didn't mean to take up the first, you know, 35 minutes or so of the show. Um, but it's important. Um, this, this aid in dying issue is one that is important. And I believe that it will, it will fall to the wayside and it will come, we will come to the right decision state by state 
probably not quite as rapidly as we did on gay marriage, but um, pretty goddamn quick because it's important. And I think we are becoming more clear-headed related to these issues as a society uh, as time goes on. So that's positive. Speaking of uh, not being (laughs) clear-headed, here's some odd Pew research that was done related to um, views on gay marriage by black people and how I just I found it. I, I thought it was very interesting how they believe. I tell you what, I'll do my job. You do yours. African-Americans remain less likely than white Americans to support same-sex marriage, as has been the case for several years. But at the same time, a new Pew Research survey finds that a majority of blacks, a significantly bigger share than among whites, say that wedding-related businesses, such as caterers or florists, should be required to provide wedding services to gay and lesbian couples. So it's interesting because... I don't know what the implications are surrounding this, but I I get the sense that blacks may be more for businesses having to be required to provide services to gay and lesbians, even though they're against them getting married, because they've been in that situation. Right. Well, one, one, them being against gay marriage is a the religious context, the religious influence, and then the other would be the cultural influence, the... The, the terrible wrongs that have been inflicted upon black people right by our society right so there but there's a there's an odd there's an odd dichotomy there a line that's drawn between the two because white evangelicals would absolutely largely support that new mexico cake decorator saying she doesn't want to make a cake for a couple of homos who got married yeah I would assume that would be her words because she's a hateful Christian. Yeah. <laughs> so just to kind of give the the data background for the polling, four in 10 black Americans, 42% support same-sex marriage. That's 11 percentage points below whites. They're at 53%. Meanwhile, seven in 10 African Americans, 70% say that homosexual behavior is a sin compared with 47% of whites who say this. Now, of the same survey, this is the first time they asked whether they think businesses should provide wedding services. Blacks stand out, especially likely to say that such businesses should be required. And about 6 in 10 African Americans, 61%, say that they should be required to provide the services. And 45% of whites say that they should be required. Yeah. So significantly more there. Very interesting. And, yeah, I don't know. It's complicated. Well, it's... This is what, and I know I just talked about it with the Matt Walsh story, but it's very interesting that how rapidly, and we've talked about this on the show before, how rapidly the views on gay marriage have changed. It has been far quicker than the civil rights movement, far quicker than that. It's the hearts and minds of Americans have been shifting just a a, a fucking a left turn as rapidly as you can make a left turn because... Just a few years ago, they did one of those referendums like they do in California. In California, they did a referendum, and 67% of voters voted against legalizing gay marriage. Wow. And this was, I don't know, a decade ago, maybe less? Yeah. And here we are, and right now, while I'm speaking, 30 states, more than half of the union, gays can be married. And that's an awesome, 
awesome number. Right. It's amazing. And the Supreme Court just recently refused to hear arguments which made by default the lower court, whatever the, 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 the highest court lower. Oh, that's kind of confusing. <laughs> the, the, the next, the, the court next in line to the Supreme Court, whatever their ruling was, it stood. And for many, it was the Ninth Circuit Court, which is tr- traditionally a very liberal court. They decided that Idaho, Utah, all these cases that were going on, nope, you're, you have to fucking, you're gay marriage approved. Indiana, Oklahoma, Virginia, Wisconsin. Those other ones too. I don't think they're all Ninth Circuit, but uh, Idaho and Utah certainly are, which is based out of San Francisco, um, which has nothing to do with you know the the gay thing in San Francisco. It's just that's where the court is, right? Um, but it's traditionally a pretty liberal court, and you know what? That's okay. And I I'm certainly not one that would uh, that would be in support of judicial activism, but when you have massive swaths of Americans that are being discriminated against and not being granted the same rights, the same privileges of other Americans, we've got a problem. Yeah, and so so now, like you were saying, it's 30 states and the district, and that's totaling 60% of the U.S. population. Yeah. And two years ago at this time, it was same-sex marriage was only legal in Connecticut, Iowa, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, Vermont, and the district, yeah. Washington, D.C., but- and that was only 11% of the U.S. population. So Only two years ago. Right. So it's just huge change in two years. Yeah. Well, and it's, here's what also, also is going to happen. Is it, and this is why I talked a few, a few episodes ago about we don't have politicians who are leaders. No trailblazers. We have a reactionary leadership style that is very prevalent in our country right now from the president down where... Oh, this is happening. Oh, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? They don't they don't look forward to the future to lead. They react to bullshit that happens. It's it's cowardly, I think. Right. I mean, it's kind of to be expected, I guess, though. Yeah. Fuck, I, I don't mean, know. It's a bummer to the- me because I look up to our founding fathers who, you know, were, were flawed men and did terrible things. They were, you know, it, it they were slave owners and all the bullshit that went on. It's, it's bad, but th- there are no perfect human beings. They were leaders. George Washington, they wanted him to stay on as president after his second term, and he said no. He said, it's not a monarchy. I'm going to set a precedence for for the people who will uh, uh, precede me, and I need to do this. And it was responsible. It was the wise thing to do. And up until FDR, every president followed that followed that guideline, that precedent. So... We have had leaders in our past who were trailblazers, who were leaders. They weren't reactionary. Right. So now we're going to see in the upcoming election that the Republican candidates are going to have to be in favor of gay marriage, probably, right? Well, I in order to be a serious contender. I don't know. Well, no, not this election. No, I don't. Uh, I, I don't think that's going to happen that rapidly. I, I should have. uh Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) wow, it's an abbreviated segment. Um, No, I don't think so. In my opinion, and this is just conjecture. This is just Jesse's opinion. If you don't didn't already figure that out. um, 
Not this election. Maybe next, but not this time. Because during primary, you have to... It's so contentious right now. During primary, you have to campaign to the right, to the sometimes the far right, and then that's just to get the nomination. And then once you get the nomination, you kind of have to come back to the middle and it's kind of what fucked Mitt Romney. See, that that process is so strange to me because you'd think that Republicans would want to send into the fire the person that would be most likely to win. Right. So that's not the most right person. That's well, someone who's going to be able to appeal to everybody. Keep, keep this in mind that evangelical Christians, although they are not a massive po- uh, portion of the population related to uh, voting demographic... They control the agenda in a lot of ways because they are very active. They're very fired up. They're very mobilized. And they control the conversation a lot of ways. Recently, and we didn't, I don't have this link. I don't, um, Huckabee, Mike Huckabee, former governor of Arkansas and Fox News, uh, host of some fucking show, Huckabee, I think it's called. Um, that's pretty humble. Um, <laughs> He, he, he threatened that if, if the Republicans don't get their shit together where it's, re- where it relates to gay marriage and where it relates to this gay issue, he's leaving the party and he's taking a massive portion of voters with him. Wow. So they are, they threaten, they, they're, it, you know, my parents are very involved in state politics. Not, not here in California because nothing gets done Republican in California, but, and they are very active, very evangelical. So they're they're active. Yeah. Not just my parents, but all those people. They're right. You know, they're very passionate about what they fucking believe. Yeah, so. and that's good, I guess. Yeah, great. <laughs> Pretty great for the gays, that's for sure. <laughs> so good news this week. Yes. One mo- of one of Britney's absolute uh, models for her life and heroes. It's weird that you have a hero who's a teenager, though. Malala, <laughs> Malala Yousafzai won the fucking Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah, she is my hero. And she's sharing it with a man from India. And I'm not going to attempt to say his name. I'm sorry, guy. But I... I'm, <laughs> guy. Yeah, you're awesome, too. But I can't say her name. And they won the award for their struggles against the suppression of children and for young people's rights, including the right to education. So Malala was famously shot in the head by the Taliban when she was on the bus going to school. I I think you might want to categorize it as infamously. <laughs> infamously, right? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. And no wait, but according to uh, Reza Aslan and Matt Damon, or uh, not Matt Damon, sorry, Matt uh, Ben Affleck, it is uh, it's it's a political thing. It wasn't because of religion that she was shot in the head. That right. the Taliban shot her. It was political. Right. So yeah. she was shot in the head and she took a long time to recover. And when she was in recovery, she still just kept on talking about how this isn't going to slow her down, that this is only going to make her stronger, that she's still going to be a champion for women's education. Did Have you mentioned why she was shot in the head? Because she was going to school. Oh, right. That, that's, a, that's a crime. How terrible. That a, that a little girl wants to learn and go to school. Right. So she won this prize because she is a champion for children 
children's education because she believes that it is a fundamental right that girls should yeah, be yeah. able to go to school. Yeah. And she doesn't live in Pakistan anymore. No, Bur- she, Birmingham, England. Right. And she actually got the news that she had won the Nobel Peace Prize. News. News. When <laughs> she was in a chemistry class in England on Friday morning, and there was a tweet that went out over the Malala Fund Twitter account that said she would make in a that she would make her statement after school. Right. After class. Right. Right. So she waited till after school to make her announcement about winning the Nobel Peace Prize. Which is 17 years old. Yeah. Yeah. She's just... Is she 17 now? I thought she was 16. No, she's 17. Oh, wow. And she just set such a good example for all girls because, you know, she's famously talked about how she was very sad after she came out of her out of the hospital and saw her face. Her her face is now slightly deformed after being shot in the head. There's some paralysis that's going on on her left side. Right. So, and yeah. she had talked about how when she first woke up, she was talking about how she was sad that she now has an asymmetrical face. And that soon she realized that that's not the most important thing, that the most important thing is her being educated, that she has... She has rights to become intelligent and that it's more important for her to learn chemistry and, yeah. you know, rights. She really is inspirational. And it's, it's it's amazing. Well, it's finally the fucking the, the, the Nobel committee is getting it right. This is the same committee that gave Barack Obama a peace prize who, who had done nothing yet. He was a senator <laughs> from Illinois who had done nothing for peace. Nothing. Right. So it's awesome that we're kind of getting back on track relative to giving it to people who are deserving of the of the honor. Right. And she said at her she said while giving her statement after she won, I think this is really just the beginning. Children around the world should stand up for their rights and not wait for someone else. And she's definitely an example of doing that. She she did not wait for anybody else. And she was very vocal, even at like 12 years old, about her right to an education. Not just vocal, eloquent. Right. And and that's inspirational as shit. Yeah. And that's what made her a target, unfortunately. But also she has inspired so many people that it's just insane. Well, it's standing up in, in spite of the voices of of terror and anger and hatred being brave you know and she look the, the the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing and in this case good children to do nothing and she is doing something and it's it's awesome and yeah. I'm, I'm glad she's been re- she's being rewarded for it, it listen <laughs> if this doesn't inspire you to do something with your life you're not doing it right. You're not. So we just briefly talked about the, the issue with Ben Affleck on the Bill Maher show. And Sam Harris, who appeared on that show, is now being maligned and misrepresented on Twitter by the likes of Reza Aslan, who is a, uh, well, he, he would tell you what he is. Uh, and Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, who's a journalist, but Reza Aslan is a, I guess, a professor of creative writing at the University of California, Riverside. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, interesting. If you listen to him, though, um, <laughs> he, he has a little different picture about what his education is. But anyway, what, what do you explain, Brittany? 
kind of what's going on with with the 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 the, the meme that was tweeted out. So someone created a meme with a photo of Sam Harris, a scary looking photo, as even he admitted. And they put a quote from his book, The End of Faith, which reads, some beliefs are so dangerous that it may be ethical to kill people for believing in them. Which completely misrepresents the point. Anything that he would believe. Right. And it, it completely removes all context. This was obviously written in context and then it was just taken out of context, put on this scary looking meme, obviously to... As though that's what he believes. Right. And so Sam Harris wrote a response to this and Glenn Greenwald and Reza Aslan both retweeted it to, you know, a million Hang people. On. So what happened was this tweet, this meme was created and Reza Aslan and Glenn Greenwald both retweeted it. And then Sam Harris wrote this blog repudiating what they did and explaining what was going on. Right. So what I find interesting, though, is this Reza Aslan character. I mean, Glenn Greenwald is, he's for sure, he, this might be going out on a limb, but I don't think he really appreciates America. I don't think he likes America. He lives out of the country. He he does uh, hit pieces on uh, the American government, which sometimes are, are justified, but... He's just not a guy who's a fan of of the country. Reza Aslan is a guy who wrote the book Zealot. He's written several books, but he's a guy who every time he's on, he wants to talk about who he is. This is just a few clips I pulled. I tell you what, we'll just do this. I'll let Reza Aslan talk about who he is. I am a scholar of religions with four degrees, including one in the New Testament and fluency in Biblical Greek. So this is taken directly from Reza Aslan's website. He has a Bachelor of Arts in Religious Studies from Santa Clara University, major focus New Testament, minor in Greek. He has a Master of Theological Studies from Harvard, major focus History of Religions, and a PhD in Sociology of Religions from the University of California. Now, he says on his website it's a Sociology of Religions. However, in researching this, I found multiple news sources, one of which was the Washington Post, that said they checked with the registrar's office at the University of Santa Barbara, and his doctorate is in Sociology. So... So hang on, because Reza Aslan would have you think. I am an expert with a PhD in the history of religions. So even what he's saying there contradicts what he has on his own website. Right. He's not a history. He's not a doctor of the history of religions. He's not. He has a do, doesn't have a doctorate in history of anything. Right. There's it's, no history. It's sociology. Sociology. It might focus on religion, but it's not a Ph.D. I am an expert with a Ph.D. in the history of religions. That's a lie. Right. By the way, this is all from one interview. I just want everyone to note that as well. Right. Well, he goes on to explain. I am a professor of religion, including the New Testament. Uh, that's what I do for a living, actually. Actually, Reza, you are a professor of creative writing, at the University of California, Riverside. Right. And he has worked as a professor for religions, an assistant professor, a visit, I'm sorry, a visiting assistant professor of religion. Right. So that's from his website. Yeah, well, he, he would also have you think that. Uh... I just want to emphasize this one more time. 
I am a historian. I am a PhD in the history of religion. It's so great. Who speaks this way? Yeah. Who speaks this way? Well, also, it's he's fucking lying. He's misrepresenting what his education is. Also, if you're wondering what his dissertation was about, the title of it is Global Jihadism as a Transnational Social Movement, a Theoretical Framework. Now, I don't really think that's about the New Testament or Jesus. No, I wouldn't think so. So The word jihad didn't exist when Jesus was around. My job as a scholar of religions with a PhD in the subject is to write about religions. <laughs> He's a smug prick. He's very condescending. To write about religions. Religions. Yeah, just FYI, if you need to talk about your education this much during one conversation, there's a problem. Yeah. You're well, trying to it's... cover something up. Something's going <laughs> right. on. I mean... I'm actually quite a prominent Muslim thinker in the United States. Oh, that, my God. That was my favorite. That was my favorite. I'm actually quite a prominent Muslim thinker in the United States. I'm actually quite a prominent Muslim thinker in the United States. Well, you know, I'd like I'd like for the audience and everybody to know right now that I'm actually quite a prominent thinker about many topics in the United States. <laughs> right. Yeah. I am. Mm -hmm. I'm uh, I'm very well respected about my feelings on issues related to my having been in the Marine Corps. Yeah, Jesse was a Marine everybody. <laughs> and uh and also I'm very well respected on what I like to eat, the different foods that I like. People love to know what I feel about what I like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's true. So anyway, Reza Aslan is a turd. And if you have are seeing him featured on different talk shows, he was just recently on CNN ref, um, responding to the Bill Maher, uh, Ben Affleck thing. And he's, uh, he's, he's a liar. He's not truthful. He's, um, and that's obvious in his misrepresenting his education, as well as retweeting a quote on a meme of Sam Harris that he knows for a 100% fact was not said the way that it's, right. it's being portrayed. It does not represent the feelings, the views, the beliefs of Sam Harris, because they know one another. It's it's a strained relationship, <laughs> right. to, to, be, to, to be said mildly. Right. Um, but here's what we're going to do. We, we actually started today. We started tweeting and we want these hashtags to go out. So if you, if this is something you're passionate about, if this is something, if you know who Reza Aslan is, we want you to start using these hashtags. It's, uh, I am a scholar. Hashtag I am a scholar. As you know, as you heard that he likes to say, I am a scholar of, I am a scholar of. And then also, we want the, to get this one going, and we've already done it, and I, I have one that's been favorited or or retweeted like 20 times. It's, I have 10 degrees. Mm -hmm. He didn't actually say that, but, yeah, you but know, it's, it's just it's fun. It's the thought yeah. that, oh, I've got this degree, I've got that degree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we, we, if you want to help us out with that, that would be fucking wonderful. <laughs> yes. So we're going to wrap up the show with, we like to wrap up the show with something funny, with something amusing. And Brittany has found a wonderful story from the picturesque upstate New York region, right around Buffalo. And it's a happy story because it involves a wedding. 
It's just wonderful. Go ahead, Brittany. Yeah, the article starts with, the way you don't expect a wedding reception to be described, quote, I'm telling you, there was blood everywhere. There was holes punched in the walls. Did somebody have a period like I always have my period? Uh, Let's not get into that again. All right. So apparently a giant fight broke out during this wedding where seven police agencies were called to the scene. And there were 200 people that attended the reception. That's the freaky part to me. That's a big fucking wedding. 200 people at the reception. Right. Apparently too many because they fought. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a good situation. You would expect this kind of thing to happen in like the Ozarks with the Hatfields and the McCoys. Yeah. Or the Palins. Not All right. Or the Palins. Yeah. Bristol Palin punching a dude in the face six or seven times. Yeah. So the arriving officer said he saw at least 100 people fighting. A hundred people fighting. So it apparently was just like a group brawl of people just going at it. That is crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Did did it say how many people were arrested or just they tried to calm the situation down or what led to it or did someone play? It says no arrests were made and... No arrests were made when one... There's a... There's a... <laughs> a fight involving 100 human beings... And no one gets arrested. Yeah, the police chief doesn't seem to know what happened. He says, quote, <laughs> it could be that someone was touched inappropriately. It could be a family issue. It could be an emotional issue. <laughs> it might be all of the above. Yeah, so <laughs> who knows what happened, but it was bad. Well, don't you have don't you have a story, an event in your life, a seminal turning point in your life where you ended up at a wedding to which you were not invited? I did, yeah. So let's get into this, because this is pretty good, everybody. It's, seriously, one of the greatest stories that is... Well, the good news is you weren't raped. Yeah. Yeah. You, okay, so let's you, let's explain that before this. You could have been. I could have been. It, it almost happened. You had to hide in an abandoned prison. What we should do is... Oh, my God, you're making this sound terrible with no context. No, it's... <laughs> It's, it's you just said I was almost raped. I didn't, though. And that I had to hide in an, an abandoned prison. Yeah, this is all true, by the way. Yeah, I was going to say, well, none of what I've said is false. Okay, so, And it adds to a delicious, tasty treat for everyone. Okay, here's what happened. I was 16, and I was with another one of my, my friends at the time, and she was also 16. And we were with my mom and my two sisters, but my mom and my two sisters went hiking, and there was an area where you could go hiking. This was at the old penitentiary in Boise, Idaho. The old Idaho State Penitentiary, which is at the foot of a, a, where the Table Rock is. Right. Where up above Boise, there's this big cross, and people go hike up there all the time. Right. And so my my friend and I decided to go on a walk kind of around the old penitentiary grounds, because it's like a museum, and it's a very cool area. And next to this, next to the old penitentiary, is the old warden's residence, which is a giant, like, Victorian, beautiful house where they rent out. They rent it out now for wedding receptions and meetings and, you know, events. Right. So there was a wedding going on at the time. At the old warden's house. Yes. And my friend Mandy and I, we walked, we made the mistake, I guess I should say. Shout out for Mandy, everybody. Yeah. We made the mistake of walking by this house where the wedding was going on. And there was a guy outside, very disheveled, and he was drinking and he started yelling at us. And I told Mandy, I'm like, let's just ignore him, keep walking. No problem. He's just drunk and crazy. 
So you're saying that he was throwing off kind of a he was a creepy demeanor. Right, like a rape meaner. <laughs> it was wait, a very wait, wait, clear wait, wait, wait. rape meaner. Oh, it wasn't a creepy demeanor. It was a rape meaner. Right. Wow, that's yeah. definitive. It was. It was scary. A rape meaner. Right. No, listen. You've just interjected a new, and into the lexicography <laughs> of 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 English. You have just introduced a new word, a rape meaner. I'm assuming that is mixing the two words rape and demeanor. It's a rape meaner. Or even rapey and demeanor. Mm, no. Oh, okay. Rape meaner. Yeah, okay. So, right, so, so he, he really was throwing off a rape meaner. Yeah, and <laughs> so we did ignore him and we proceeded to continue walking. And then he started chasing us. And I, I mean, he was literally running after us. So we start running, and he, this is the the groom. He ended up being the groom. We didn't oh, know this yet. Yeah, yet. we sorry, we didn't sorry. know. We didn't know who he was. He was just a guy dressed in a tuxedo from the wedding, outside the house while the party was going on inside, getting drunk outside so by he himself. Was, he was he was uh, he was a fancy. Yeah. He, he was fancily chasing you. Yeah. It wasn't like he was, you know, looked homeless and disheveled. He was just disheveled in a tuxedo. So he starts running after us, yelling for us to stop. And my friend Mandy tries to pull me in this direction where I knew there would be no escape. And I'm like, no, we can't go that way. So I pull no, her in this other direction. Explain why. Because you'd taken the tour before. Yeah. And it was part of the women's prison or something. Yeah. And in yeah. The, inside the women's prison, it's only one entrance, one exit. And she wanted to go hide in there. And I said, no, because that's the perfect rape place he'll lay us down in a cell and, and just go to town and it'll be terrible so i guess we should have done a trigger warning in the beginning of this story um and previous listeners will know what we're talking about yeah so i pull her in the opposite direction and i go into the office of the old penitentiary where the where you can buy tickets to go through the actual penitentiary and everything. Yeah, like where a state employee runs the tours works. Right. And I run in there real quick and I tell the woman at the front desk, I say, there's a man chasing us. We need help. And she quickly says, okay, go in that room, close the door, hide under the benches. There were, you know, benches in this room where they play a movie continuously introducing right. you to the tour. And Mandy and I crawl under there really quick and we're like shaking. We're so terrified that this guy's chasing us. And we hear him come in and he's like, where are those girls? And she says, I gotta get my rape on. <laughs> yeah. She says, I don't know what you're referring to, sir. You need to leave right now. And he continues to be aggressive. And finally he leaves. We come out of the room. She's calling the cops already. And so I say, I need to go get my mom because my mom, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> my mom has always been a protector in my eyes. She, you know, was six feet tall, 220 pounds. She's not a small woman. And she also dabbled a little bit in boxing. So I wanted her to find this guy and take care of biz. And we, I go out of the, the, I go out of the main area where the tour had started, where I got help from the woman. And I start walking back to my mom's car and she's there and we're parked in the back lot of the governor or the we're parked in the back lot of the warden's house. Right. So the cops have already arrived because the woman called the cops. Right. And they're out there. And I run up to my mom and I say, that guy was chasing us. We almost got raped. I explained to her the situation. By now, the cops are there interviewing people. Right. The cops are there. The wedding party has come out of the governor's mansion. Right. They or start the, the, coming out. The warden's mansion. They start coming out. The bride comes out. 
and I'm telling my mom what happened. And the bride at some point says, you girls ruined my wedding. And my mom says, I'm about to drop the F-bomb, everybody, for the first time on the show. Your mom screams at the bride. She screams, well, you're the one who married a fucking child molester. (laughs) And my the cops step in between my mom and the lady. And they're like, all right, we need to calm down. Everybody needs to be calm. And they, you know, try to get everyone to stop being so hostile. But I just can't imagine the bride was out. I don't know who else was out. More wedding people came out. And it was they were hearing this situation where the groom was chasing these two teenage girls for whatever reason. And they just heard some lady tell the new bride that her groom is a child molester. (laughs) I just like I, I wish that I would have looked these people up to know their names so I can know if they're still married. If they listen... (laughs) <laughs> oh my god how great would that be yeah. we do have a large audience in boise idaho just based on how many people we know if they are listening listen if I anybody's listening if anybody's <laughs> listening who knows about this story like oh yeah we i was drunk and i one of their tags was sticking out on the back of their shirt so i started chasing them to put the tag back in all <laughs> right whatever yeah. his version is Please let us know. Goddamn, that would be so great. Yeah, I forgive you. We can move on. Let's laugh about it. <laughs> and that gives everyone a good introduction into my mom, by the way. So we'll probably hear more stories. Yeah. So with that little uh, tasty vignette, we are gonna we're gonna wrap it up. Listen, I know we talked about uh, the the reviews, and that would be great if you'd help us out there. Seriously, it would be very great. Even if you were to commandeer a friend's account or convince them to review the show, that would be awesome because it really does help us out. The other thing is Amazon. We haven't even talked about Amazon the whole entire show. There is a link on dollamore.com up in the top right corner that says support the show. And when you go there, you'll see an Amazon link. If you want to buy a Halloween costume, an iPhone 6 case, a book... A vacuum. I'm just looking around the room right now. So that <laughs> that's a good method. Yeah, you know, if you want to buy something and you're going to spend your money there anyway, use the dollamore.com Amazon link and buy something there because it goes a long way towards supporting your favorite show filled with news. News. Wow, what was that? No, news. no, that's staying. No, no, no. That's staying. That's staying. Damn it. <laughs> Oh, you almost had it. You've got to be quicker than that. <laughs> oh, that was, yeah, that's the perfect thing. Listen, we love you for checking in with us twice a week. We know it takes time. We know it does. Trust us. We put a lot of time into doing the goddamn show. We love you. We appreciate your participation. 657-464-7609. That is the number to text or call. Keep it clean on the on the reviews. Thanks for helping us out. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I'm actually quite a prominent Muslim thinker in the United States. 